Alan, I don't think you could have, or I could have set this up better if I had come and talked to you about what we're going to preach about today. So I hope, uh, I hope this is a meaningful time. Um, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I had a lot of struggles coming up with something to preach about. So I'm starting to appreciate more why uh, professional preachers plan so far ahead. Um, and as, as I was sitting at home last Saturday night, I was oh, relieved because Martin was preaching. I didn't have to worry about it. Um, of course, then I came and sat where you are last Sunday, and I got real squirmy because what he was talking about was hitting awful close to home. Uh, so I hope that preaching does make a squirm. And I don't stand up here with a goal to offend folks or get you to squirm, but I do want to get you to think, okay? And I do try to come at things a little differently and um, go to some places in the Scripture that maybe uh, we don't usually go. So um, I can't say that I can quite follow up what Martin did last week. That was incredible. But this week, as I was really trying to figure out what to do. I spent a lot of time in the car. Uh, my son Will's playing baseball in the baseball camp. Back and forth. Nothing was coming to me. And I'm praying and I'm thinking and I asked Victoria what she thought. She gave me some ideas and I had some ideas and, and kind of all together um, it just I, I just kept coming back to the idea that so much going on in the world. We Christians are here for such a time as this. And so I thought, well, about the story of Esther, because that's what Mordecai told his cousin Esther, you are here for such a time as this. And um, that really didn't reach out and grab me quite so much. And so I, I, I'm, I'm one to make everything harder than it needs to be. So don't feel sorry for my struggles. I'm just saying, I, I, I had a hard time, and, and uh, um, but then I really realized uh, my human nature is to fix things, come up with a, a design, a process, a procedure to address the issue, fix it, and make sure it stays fixed, right? What engineers are supposed to do. Um, but it hit me. This is not my problem. The hand of the Almighty holds the world, the universe, and all of us. He's in charge, and it's His to fix. Now, that doesn't mean we don't need to be part of the solution, and that's what I want to get at today. Um, I had, a, I think I mentioned this before, I had an old neighbor older gentleman who, um, you know, whenever we talked, he'd always ask how things was going, and uh, at one point I said, well, I guess it's in God's hands, and he always reminded me, yeah, I know that's a scary place to be sometimes, but in reality, that's really the best place to be, and that's where we find ourselves today in our story. You see, um, in trying to to look for things that are different. Um, years ago, 
I started teaching my kids Sunday school class. It didn't take more than a couple of years to realize that in most Sunday school curriculums, you get the same stories cycled through because last year's four-year-olds went to the five-year-old class. But when you as a teacher move with them, suddenly the five-year-olds are getting the same stories they heard as four-year-olds, you know. And I'm thinking, my kids are going to get bored with this because they remember the stories, you know. And I thought, we got to do something different. And so I, I kind of made it my goal to look for the stories that weren't in the Sunday school curriculum or the VBS curriculum, the things that are most people don't even realize are there until they get um, exposed to it. A lot of us go through reading the Bible in a year, and that's great. I can tell you in Bible college, I had to read the entire Old Testament in four weeks. And I'm here to tell you, as wonderful as that sounds, a hundred pages a night, it kind of goes in one eyeball and out the other, which was not the point of the class. Okay, um, And so you do have to get reminded of these things. And the beauty of being reminded always find new lessons every time you go on. And so um, uh, this, I, I was very fortunate with these Sunday school kids because they were really hungry to learn and we had a lot of fun. And so sometime you can ask, uh, well, Alex really the one, but Nick, they may remember too. You know, some of the fun things we did, we built uh, a giant crossbow and a because King Uzziah developed weapons for his army. You know, and we talked about all the sacrifices that went on during a great victory celebration. We started doing math in Sunday school. And we calculated the uh, volume of blood that was shed for those sacrifices. Would have filled the church basement, you know. And so these stories are there, and they're very powerful, and we, we kind of gloss over them sometimes and we forget what really went on and how important it is. So today, if you would, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles. Um, looking for chapter 20, and as I say to the kids, that's big number 20. We'll worry about the little numbers later. Um, but before we get started, I kind of want to set up the stage for the story, because unless you kind of get the context, it's easy to get lost. Um, so Jehoshaphat, which is a funny name, and all the kids giggle whenever I say it, um, was the king of Judah at this time. And he's considered to be one of the better kings um, in Judah since the time of the split after Solomon's death. As you may remember, the kingdom was split into Israel and Judah. Um, and he had followed in his father Asa's footsteps to bring the people of Judah back to the worship of the Lord get rid of the idols and the high places, and, and to really teach and train the people. In fact, um, he, 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 he really tried to heal the people, with, uh, restore the relationship with God, and even he reached out to the nation of Israel, which was kind of a misguided attempt on his part, because um, Ahab, the king up there, as we learned, was one of the most wicked kings ever. And God chastised Jehoshaphat for making an alliance king of Israel. Um, but most recently, Jehoshaphat in chapter 19 
had been appointing judges, and he says this, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed what you do, for there is no perversion of justice with the Lord our God. So today, we find Jehoshaphat in his walk, um, having just kind of restored the nation of Judah in a relationship with the Lord and getting them on the right foot and, and really kind of on a, on a, we'll call it a high, because he had put these judges in place to restore the Lord's order in Judah. And now bad things are about to happen. All that's about to get wrecked. And so we start here in chapter uh, 20, uh, verse 1. It says, After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazeon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. <clears throat> Great way to come down off your spiritual high is to have an invasion coming um, to ruin what you've built. Jehoshaphat was afraid, and rightly so. We don't really know how many of this, these armies were, but um, he was afraid. And uh, much of us would be too at such a time. These, these, uh, these bad things are coming, and yet what is his response here? He seeks the Lord. And he gets his people to join him. Um, I think a lot of times leaders want to be seen as the one with the plan. I know what I'm doing. I'm going. You guys just follow me. We'll be fine. But in this case... Jehoshaphat was afraid. We're going to find out how he led the people in his fear to grow in, in uh, their faith with, with God. Let's read on. Um, verse 5. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, Art thou not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? In thy hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend. And they have dwelt in it, and have built thee a sanctuary for your name, saying, if evil comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house. We cry to you in our affliction, thou will hear and save. And now behold, men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, 
and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us now by coming to drive us from our possession which you gave us. O our God, will thou not execute judgment upon them? For we are powerless against this great multitude that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat starts his prayer by reminding everyone who God is. I don't know that anybody could be quite so concise. Aren't you God? Aren't you in heaven? Don't you hold the world in your hands, kingdoms, nations? He reminds everyone um, of the history with Judah and God's promises and, and his power to accomplish his will. He even echoes the sentiments that we find in Second Chronicles 6 when Solomon dedicated the temple. He says, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and we cry to thee in our affliction. You will hear and say. That was, that was the promise that God had given when he had Solomon build the temple. That was the significance of him putting his name there. That was the closest God was going to come to his people, was to put his name there. And they came to him and stood in front of him and humbled themselves and said, God, we're powerless. We need your help. He also called on God uh, to fulfill his promises and to judge their enemies accordingly to their deeds. If we read on here, um, verse 13 Meanwhile, all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of... This is where it gets fun to read the kids, because especially if you have them read, they just start making stuff up. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, and by the way, if you read through the Psalms, you see a lot of them are written by the sons of Asaph. Okay? This was a guy who was used to being up in front and leading worship. And in the midst of the assembly, he said, Hearken all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Fear not and be not dismayed at this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Take your position, stand still, and see the victory of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Israel. Fear not. Be not dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. God responds immediately here. I mean, bang. Spirit comes down. One of the guys in the worship team stands up and says, This is the word from the Lord. Don't be afraid. This is not your fight. 
to simply go out, take your position, stand still, and watch and see the victory of the Lord. How do you respond to something like that? Let's read on and see. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and worshipped the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord of God of Israel with a very loud voice. This is how we should respond when we hear the voice of the Lord. With humility, recognizing that he's talking to us. We don't necessarily even deserve it. And yet he had a message there. And they, they bowed in, in humbleness and they praised him for his response. Even though some of us might say he hadn't done anything yet, he talked to him. Oh my goodness. What kind of reassurance would that give us today? But they they didn't just mumble in their praise. They praised loudly. It's hard to praise loudly with a mask on. It doesn't sound very good, I know, but um, we got to try. <laughs> so let's read on. Verse 20, they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in 